Well, you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to taste and pick up some of the basic themes of our passage this morning. Even a cursory reading of our text would leave us shocked as we think about the nature of the circumstances that we've just experienced in the first chapter of Ruth. To every great story, there's a sad story that begins and opens up the tale and teaches us some of the themes of which the narrator will attempt to resolve over the course and duration of the story. And the author of Ruth has been unfolding for us this family story, a story of Elimelech's family, one who was from Bethlehem who left due to famine with his sickly sons. And upon going, they grow, they find some success, but ultimately trials they encounter, trials again and again and again. And our passage reminds us very powerfully of this subject of grief, a subject that for me as a pastor weighs very heavily upon my own heart. Because before I am a pastor, I am a Christian. I stand before God as a man, and I stand before Him bearing my own griefs, the griefs that I've experienced in life, the challenges I faced in childhood with the dissolvement of my parents' marriage, I face my own insecurities that the Lord directed me through in my teenage years as I face the death of my own grandfathers. Also, the Lord spoke to me powerfully through my 20s and 30s as I dealt both with the insecurities of my vocational state and calling and God's own direction in my life with regard to my own singleness. You see, I have my own story with grief, and I am but one person. And I look upon you as a whole collection of people, all with your own encounters of grief. And there's a reality that I want us to recognize as the church. That of all of the things we are, one of the things we are is a community of grievers. We've all tasted suffering and pain and hurt. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. It doesn't matter how wide and deep the cuts and gashes in your soul are. We all gather and assemble as hurting, broken, grieving people. And you know, the season in life where we might find ourselves may not be the worst season we've faced in life. And that's a good thing. But grief always is there lurking in the shadows, ready to prounce when the timing is right. And so pastorally, the subject of grief weighs very heavily upon my heart as I try to speak the good news of the gospel to hurting and broken, broken lives. That's why I'm so excited about passages like this. Passages that unveil and open to us the realities of grief and all of its strength and beauty and rawness and horror. And what I would like to submit to you this morning is the very simple idea that there is immense grace in grief. Immense grace in grief. I'd like you to plant that idea in the back of your mind as we look at this passage and as we count the discoveries that God is unveiling to us as readers through the lives of the individuals that he has placed in our passage this morning. There are particularly three discoveries that I would like to make regarding the grace of grief. That in the grace of grief, God firstly has 
is disclosing to us, is unveiling for us before our own eyes secret hidden graces that he's planted all around us, even right in the midst of grief. I would like us also to see ourselves for who we truly are in all of the rawness and openness of the true state of our souls as we stand before God. And then thirdly, I would like us to see even most powerfully that the love and steadfast love of God shines most powerfully, prominently, richly when we find ourselves in the circumstances of grief. So let's experience and taste these things together this morning. Our first grace that we see is the discovery of all the hidden gifts that God has placed around us. In our passage this morning, we encounter Naomi, and the whole scene is a sad one. Naomi is departing because her circumstances have dramatically changed. She's lost the uh, lives of her sons. She's lost the life of her husband. She's been experiencing years of grief, living in a as a stranger in a foreign land. And now, not having any economic prospects, she is forced to return with her two daughters-in-law, with Orpah and with Ruth, back to her own home country. She tried something different. It didn't work out. And now she's faced with returning her home country, having experienced all the weight and evil of the world around us. But it's interesting Right in the midst of all these dynamics are multiple highlights, multiple lights that are starting to go off of hints and shadows and illusions that God is doing wonderful things in Naomi's life. We see firstly in verse 6 that God has visited his people and he has given them food. He didn't need to do that, but here in verse 6, there's promise, there's a future, there's direction that Naomi can begin to move her life to and find provision and hope in her life. We see here that Naomi also is beginning to return to the people of God. She's not staying estranged from them, but she's moving closer and closer to the covenant people with whom God made his promises to. That also is good news. Naomi sees the faithfulness of her daughters-in-law, both Orpah and Ruth. And it's surprising that both two foreigners would willingly forsake their own world, their own culture, their own home, and return with Naomi to hers, willingly becoming strangers in a foreign place, in a foreign culture, in a foreign faith. But God has given them to her as testimony of His grace. We see even in Naomi herself the propensity for great sensitivity in her prayer to uh, Orpah and for Ruth, asking that the Lord would deal kindly with them and that they would find rest in the uh, arms and in the homes of their own husbands, of the men that God would direct in their own life. We see Ruth's unfaltering loyalty, which we'll describe a little bit more. And we see also that Naomi enters into a context of sincere concern for her as the city and town of Bethlehem receive her and are shocked in awe at her own estate. They're concerned for her. See, there are all of these graces that the Lord is laying out in her story. And one of the things about grief is that it can dull us to the myriad of good things placed all around us. 
And friends, there are hints of God's goodness and grace all around us. From the good weather, from warmer temperatures, cooler temperatures. God's goodness is felt in the beauty of food. It's felt in the beauty and the kindness of a sensitive touch or a warm hug in the midst of our grief. And part of the purpose of the, all of those little graces that God has planted around us is to remind us that He cares. That the world is not as horrible and evil as it could be. That God is actively at work still planting good seedlings all around the life of God's people that we might see them and remember, even in the darkest of circumstances, all hope is not lost. Well, there's a second grace, and <laughs> this is the hardest one for me. I don't know about you. And that's the grace of unveiling the true estate of our souls. I'm a guy. I like to think that I'm strong-ish. I like to think that I can handle all of the circumstances that come uh, at me. But the reality is, is there's a whole host of things that I am unprepared for. And often, when our hearts most powerfully get taken from us are when those unexpected trials come, one after another after another. And what God is doing before us through our trials and through our grief, He is unveiling to us the true estate of our souls. We see this here in Naomi, and we have the wonderful opportunity here of actually looking at someone else's life first before we look at our own. We see Naomi here in this passage, and it's amazing at how dynamic she is as a person. On the one hand, her prayer to her daughters-in-law is so kind, it's so sensitive, it's so beautiful. In fact, I think she's showing us something about the longings of her own heart that she hopes that God will deal kindly with her. And she hopes that she herself may find comfort in the house of her own husband, who has been lost and is now gone. But for Naomi, she sees no hope around her. And as a result, she confesses here initially and later again that she is bitter. The once beautiful and pleasant Naomi has become bitter and hardened. And she's shaking her fist at God, blaming Him for the calamities that have come upon her, many of which have come as a result of her own shortcomings. It was she and her family that chose to leave the community of faith. It was she and her family that chose to not trust the Lord in the midst of trials, but to find something better apart from His people. And now having come to her end like the prodigal son, God has called her back home, back into His loving faith and favor. So in our lives, as we face and as we encounter grief, we're forced to confront the reality that we're a mess. We're truly a mess. We may be deceived and think that we have everything together, that we're all put together because of the varying things that we use to justify our existence and our personhood. But take the veneer away. What do we have that hasn't been given to us by God? What gifts do we have? What resources do we have that aren't ultimately all because of God's provision in our lives? You see, when we see ourselves for who we truly are and recognize 
the mess that we are and see our own propensity to sin and sin, sin actively and grievously against God in the midst of trials should cause us to pause for a moment and recognize, oh Lord, I am so wrong. But in contrast to my wrongness, You are so good that you would love me, that you would know even from when you called me that I would be in this place and this position in life. And you did not reject me, but you called me as your own. And you forgive me every single moment of every day when I come before you and open up myself to you and repent and ask and seek your forgiveness. You see, forgiveness and restoration and reformation is only a breath away for those who love God and have been called according to His purpose. So we see ourselves for who we are, but in contrast to seeing ourselves for who we are, so also we begin to see the glory and beauty and grace of God who forgives us. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than the story of God's forgiveness. It's also the story of God's covenant faithfulness. And as forgiven people, we don't only rejoice that God has been kind and compassionate and merciful to us, but He has been our rock. He has been steadfast. He has been with us through every step of the storm. And here in our passage, we see this powerfully exemplified in Ruth's surprising actions to her mother-in-law. What does Ruth say? Ruth says, in the midst of these circumstances, Naomi's trying to push her daughters-in-law away. Orpah uh, ascends to her requests and departs. Ruth, by contrast, clings. She wraps her arms around her mother-in-law. And I imagine with great passion and zeal in her voice, she says to her, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. In other words, I'm not going anywhere. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your home is going to be my home. Your people shall be my people. I am forsaking my citizenship, my family, my country, my kin to be with you. Where you die, I will die. I'm buying burial plots next to you. I'm not letting go of you. Your people shall be your people and your God my God. I am converting to the faith of the house of Israel. Do you see what Ruth is doing to her mother-in-law? She's saying, I know you don't want me with you here in your circumstances, but I love you so much, I can't let you go, no matter what the expense is here. I may be situationally stronger because I'm younger and I have a stronger future ahead of me, but I'm going to forsake that future and choose you. Today, now, and every day from now until when I die. You see, Ruth in our passage is acting beyond herself. And we as Christians sometimes find that we are acting beyond ourselves. That somehow there's an element of supernatural grace that draws us outside of the usual muck and mire and our typical MO and causes us to act with such grace and mercy and kindness that it may even surprise you. If it doesn't surprise you, maybe it surprises your spouse or your children or those near you. Here Ruth is demonstrating God's loving kindness. In Hebrew, this concept is called his hesed, and it is all over the Old Testament. 
It's in the Exodus. It's all over the Psalms. It's right here on our passage in Ruth. And the theme continues again and again and again. That God who is circumstantially stronger than all deliberately leans down and condescends. And out of His own free will and grace lovingly acts for the benefit of those who have wronged Him. That is God's love. It is the love that Ruth is demonstrating to Naomi. It is the love that God has demonstrated throughout the Old Testament. And it is the love that God has powerfully, perfectly, and completely demonstrated for all of us in the person of His Son, who is the living embodiment of His own covenant faithfulness. Friends, do you see how deeply you are loved? Even in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your darkness, when you're shaking your hands at the wrongness of the world before God, do you see the love that He has for you? And not just the love, but also the calling that you may taste and see and experience His love, that it might grow you and cultivate you from that moment of despair into not a grieving person, but a person who has experienced the love of God in its purest, richest, and most powerful form in the person of His Son and through the gift in His Spirit, the gift of His Spirit. And the good news is greater still. Not only do we get to personally taste and see it, but so also God is forming, preparing, and equipping us to be loving, exempl- to be loving markers of His covenant faithfulness wherever we go in our families, in our friendships, in our relationships. What is the grace of grief? The grace of grief is that it is our starting point that directs us from our own brokenness to our movement all along our journey to the place where God would desire us to be as those loved by Him, rejoicing in Him, and cherished by Him. That all the world might know that the story of human history is not one ultimately of grief, but is ultimately of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your people, we give thanks to you for your word and for the truths contained therein. Oh Lord, would you continue to comfort us this day as we continue to meditate and savor your goodness and your grace. And oh Lord, continue to strengthen us through all the means you have given that we might be a joyful, rejoicing, and excited people all for your glory and grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.